0: Greetings again to you, everyone, and blessings. Here we are again um, in God's Word, in Hebrews, starting a new chapter today. Hebrews seven one through ten. Wish I had all of y'all in front of me right now. It's uh, it's been uh, it's been sad not having y'all with us. Uh, over the last few months, but we understand, and actually, we have uh some overflow these days into the into the fellowship hall, so that might make some difference for some of you that you could spread out in the fellowship hall and um, we could see you again, but I understand it 's still a crazy time, and uh, answers are few and far between and Confusion reigns, it seems, and uh, questions don't get answered very well these days, but anyway, it's a blessing to be here with you in this capacity. It's It's been a blessing for me to to be able to quote-unquote preach uh, this sermon before I preach it on Sunday mornings, but um, I'm glad you guys are out there, and I, I pray you're blessed and uh, growing and and happy in the Lord, and we miss you guys. Anyway, we are, as I said, in Hebrews 7, 1 through 10. I'm going to pray, then read it to you, and then we're going to unpack it um, and see what blessings the Lord has for us in this uh, very interesting and sometimes somewhat, uh, can be somewhat confusing text about a, a Old Testament man named Melchizedek. So let's pray and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together in the word. We thank you, Lord, for uh, your, your blessing to us, your, your grace and mercy and peace to us. Uh, we are your people. You've called us uh, after your name, redeemed us and are sanctifying us and finishing us, conforming us to the image of Christ. Lord, please continue that good work. Uh, Lord, I pray that our obedience would be attendant to that. And that we will honor you in our lives, in our obedience, and right now in our time together before the word. Help us to be attentive, Lord, and to uh, remember, uh, to make note of the things that are um, proclaimed here. And we thank you for your truths, Lord, they do change the life. And Lord, we pray that you continue to change our lives. We thank you, Father. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Hebrews 7, 1-10 Our writer continues, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from, the, from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the, case, in the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Amen. May God bless this reading of his word to our hearts, minds, and lives. Okay. Melchizedek. Uh, I've never preached this text, but I've studied it enough uh, in college and seminary and just uh, in my own uh, quiet times to have a fairly good handle on, on who this guy is. But I want to give a little, just in this introduction, a little background to Melchizedek's appearance in um, Genesis 14. If you'll come back with me to Genesis. We're going to go back to, to Abram's call, Abram before he was Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12. First three verses of Genesis 12. This is Abram's call and the basic promises that God made to him as he called him forth out of the land of the Chaldeans. Genesis 12:1 through 3 Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So three distinct blessings and promises there. A great nation, uh, blessing and cursing, those who bless and uh, curse him. And in in the downline, in the descendancy of Abraham, all the earth shall be blessed. That's, that is... Uh, A veiled reference to Christ and his finished work for the redeemed, for the elect. So an amazing set of promises there in the the initial call of Abraham, the patriarch. Now, there are a few narratives that attend to us uh, between uh, chapter 12 and chapter 14. But the basic setup of chapter 14 is that Abraham and Lot have separated, uh, Lot and his family, Lot's his nephew, a wife and um, some daughters, and they decide that land ain't big enough for both of them, so they separate. Lot heads down to the cities of the plain, Sodom and Gomorrah, to settle. Abraham goes his own way. Well, um, politics and geography uh, come to the fore. The, the two kings of the, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah combine with two other kings to fight five other kings. For territory and power in that area, and they go to war. Well, in the battle, uh, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah are are basically routed, or they're confused and on the run. Uh, and the enemy kings uh, come and plunder Sodom and Gomorrah. They take away their stuff, and part of the stuff was their people, um, among whom are Abraham's. Um, Nephew Lot and his family, so they're all hostages now of these five kings, and they're they're headed north out of the area. Now, the area that we're in here in Genesis 14 is basically the area around Jerusalem. Um, Abraham pretty much settled uh, in the around the trees of Mamre, the oaks of Mamre, where he is in chapter 18 when he. Um, when he intercedes for Lot and his family down in the Twin Cities, uh, that's about 20 miles southwest of uh, of Jerusalem. So we're right there in in, uh, in Judea, what will become Judea one day. So um, when Abraham learns that his his, his nephew and his family has been taken by these five kings, he puts together a little bit more than 300 of his own men. And they go and fight a battle against these five kings and, and beat them and destroy them and bring all the plunder and all the people back. And it's in this context that we're going to go to, um, that's really the first part of chapter 14 of Genesis. But I want to read to you verses 17 through 20. And it, it renders thus. <clears throat> After his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer. And the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom, went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now that's that's as much shrift as Melchizedek gets in the Old Testament. There's one other verse, Psalm 110, verse 4, where David, under the influence of the Spirit, is uh, speaking uh, the words of God the Father about God the Son, that I swear I swear that you are a priest according to the order of Melchizedek that's the only two places in the Old Testament before Hebrews 7 that we hear of Melchizedek so who was this guy who is, is who is this guy what did he do who was he how is he used here in the text uh, what purpose did he did he have and what role did he fill in in Genesis 14 We're going to look at the the message as a blessing and a tithe. Um, Those are the two things that are kind of central to the text here in the first ten verses of chapter seven. A blessing is being given and a tithe is being paid. and We're going to look at that. Um, Melchizedek is receiving one and giving the other. Uh, So is is, uh, Abraham. We're going to look at Melchizedek. If you have your outlines before you, we're going to look at Melchizedek as a type of Christ. So Melchizedek's type is uh, verses 1 through 3. 4 through 10, we're going to look at Melchizedek's superiority uh, specifically to Aaron and Aaron's priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood, and how Melchizedek, as a king and priest of God Most High, as also is Christ, our Lord Jesus, the Son of God, um, his priesthood is eternal and it's superior to Aaron's and for the reasons that we'll lay out. So I'm going to try to keep us uh, in the light here and not muddy the waters and hopefully uh, any questions you used to have about Melchizedek will be uh, will have begun to be answered because next week we're going to look at the second half of uh, this presentation of Melchizedek, which goes into further and farther um, explanation. Uh, but That'll be uh, next Sunday, next, next weekend. So, okay, let's look first of all at, at Melchizedek as a type of Christ. <clears throat> all right, let's see. For this Melchizedek king of Salem, <clears throat> priest of Mo- the Most High God, now, just we'll stop right there. It Isn't that interesting? You have a man um, in the days of Abraham. He's contemporary with Abraham who's a king of Salem. Now, I like to think and a lot of scholars like to think that <clears throat> um, Salem here is the ancient city or at least the ancient location of Jerusalem. Jeru is, is the Hebrew word for city. Uh, Salem or um uh, shalom, Shalem, um, is the word, Hebrew word for peace. So he's king of the city of peace or of Jerusalem. But we'll keep it to just what it says. He's the king of peace um, and a priest. So he's a king and a priest. He's priest of the Most High God. Now, what's interesting about that is that later in Israelite history, in Hebrew history, there will be a king. And there will be priests um, as part of Israel's worship and leadership. But those are generations away, hundreds of years, even thousands of years down the road from Abraham and Melchizedek. What is this guy who appears just out of nowhere, who's a king of peace, probably from Jerusalem or from that area, and a priest of God Most High? What gifts here? uh, He's already a mystery because he's a he's a king of uh, he's a king under God's service he's a priest in God's service before the monarchy of Israel before the priesthood is established in Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai as they come out of Egypt hundreds of years later so he's he's already being uh, introduced as very um, unique person and out of the ordinary he meets Abraham as Abraham returns from. Uh, conquering these five kings, returning from their slaughter, and Melchizedek blesses Abraham. And to to him, Abraham, Abraham apportioned or paid a tenth part of everything. So Melchizedek blesses Abraham. Abraham pays Melchizedek a tenth of all the spoil that he had just won in the battle. Uh, the text goes on he is first Melchizedek is first by translation of his name king of righteousness that's that's the name Melchizedek melki means is the hebrew for king and zedek is the hebrew for righteousness so he's the king of righteousness and then the title that comes with him is that he is the king of Salem that is the king of peace so the king of righteousness and the king of peace uh, more than likely from Jerusalem now you tell me, who does that sound like? Who, who sounds like a, a king of righteousness and the king of peace? Well, that sounds like Jesus. And not that this is Jesus. Uh, don't don't uh, don't be mistaken here. Melchizedek is is a man from his day and from his land. He's a, he's a Canaanite king and priest. He just happens to be a king under the headship of Yahweh and a priest in Yahweh's service in Canaan before the priesthood and and monarchy of Israel that came hundreds of years later. So interesting fellow already, and um, it gets better or worse depending on how you look at it, verse 3, Melchizedek is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Okay, um, remember that Melchizedek here is comes onto the scene. There's one, two, three, four verses about him, and then he's gone. He appears and he's gone, but he's said to be a king and a priest. Now, in ancient Israelite culture and ancient Hebrew culture, you didn't get to be a king or a priest without some genealogy. Where do you come from? Who's your dad? For a priest in Israel later, uh, you had to be descended from Levi through one of his three sons, Kohath, Merari, or Gershon. Those are the three three families of Levites that took care of uh, Israel's worship from Sinai on. You had to be a Levite. Your father, your daddy had to be a Levite, one of those three families. It had to be a genealogy. You had to have your credentials. Here's a guy that appears and as a priest and a king, but uh, our author is saying there's no record of his genealogy. He's just a king and a priest, which simply from a literary standpoint, the way he is literarily introduced It seems as though it looks like he has no beginning of days nor end of life. There's no record of his death. There's no genealogy of his birth and beginning, beginning, who his mommy and daddy is. And he resembles, he's made out to be like the the son of God and continues as a priest forever. So the way Melchizedek is is introduced here in the text um, makes him out to be Eternal in his person and in his work as a king and as a priest. So in this sense, folks, he's, he's a type of Christ. Now, what does it mean to say that anything or anybody is a type of Christ or a type of anything? Well, we use the word a lot, typical. Uh, you talk about somebody and their characteristics and say, well, yeah, if he did that, well, that's typical of him. His, his actions represent him. They, they point to the person that he is. Um, when something is typical of something else, that means it is like something else. It has characteristics that make you think of that other thing. Um, another idea, another example of types of Christ in the Old Testament, just take the tabernacle. Emmanuel, God with us, the tabernacle, was with the, in the center of God's people. It had the... the, the, the um, Sacrifices out front. You had the inner holy place, um, light of the world, the the incense table, the prayers of God's people, and um, the table of shoe bread. You know, all, bread of life. All those things represented or were typical of Christ. The holy of holies, the uh, the ark of the covenant, the throne of God, the presence of God in His people. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. All those. Um, all that furniture in the Old Testament, the tabernacle and everything in it were typical of Christ. Or take a person like Moses. Moses was um, like a prophet. he was he he taught Israel in his role as a priest. He was from Levi. He was a priest. he was um, he was Aaron's brother, and he was a priest uh, once the priesthood began at Sinai. He uh, was also basically the leader of Israel in those early days coming out of Egypt. So we talk about Jesus being prophet, priest, and king. Well, Moses was like a prophet, priest, and king in his day. And as such, his role, his personage, his his um, his work reminds us of Jesus in the Old Testament. He was a type of Christ. So... <clears throat> um, Melchizedek is a type of Christ in that way. He appears not to have a beginning because there's no genealogy. There's no genealogical record. He he appears not to have died because there's no record of his death. But be sure, he was a man who lived in Canaan at that time. He was flesh and blood. His name was Melchizedek. What's mysterious about him, what's unique, is that he was a priest and king of God Most High before the monarchy and priesthood of Israel Hundreds of years later, I keep saying that, but that's what's so unique about the guy. Now, <clears throat> um, there's one other thing I, I wanted to say about um, Melchizedek. Is remember last week we went to chapter 15 of um, Genesis and read about the the animals being split. That Abraham split the animals, laid them aside, and God traveled through the pieces in the form of a smoking fire pot and torch and there swore an oath on the promises that he had made to Abram that he would indeed uh, have his own son one day through whom the nations from him would come. Um, It was, let's see, um, I'll lose my place here. Um, Yeah, Genesis 15:16, where as he's walking through those pieces or or passing through the pieces, God says that you will not have the land of Canaan right away because the sin of the Amorites has not yet filled, been filled up. Well, that was going to be hundreds of years later. That's going to be uh, after the 400 years of of uh, slavery in Egypt. They come out of Egypt, uh, and well, actually, it ends with. With the arrival of Moses and leaving Egypt, but we're talking about Abraham. It's going to be hundreds of years before Abraham's people, his descendants, would conquer Canaan uh, because the sin of the Amorites was not yet filled up. Now, when when God gives a people group time, like the Amorites, uh, their sin hasn't reached its full measure yet. Well, but there's something must be going on, and I've always contended that you have Melchizedek and his line, his redemptive line. Now I believe that, and most scholars believe that Melchizedek was Shemitic. He was a descendant of Shem like Abraham was. But you see, Shem had five sons and Arpaxad was the third born through whom Abraham comes. Now there are four other boys there that, um, that Melchizedek could have, uh, uh, could have descended from. Anyway, in the larger family tree, but not of the line of, um, of Shem. But anyway, he's in Canaan, and he's ministering. He's a king and priest of God Most High. His ancestors may have had a similar role. But uh, while there's someone filling the shoes of the godly person amongst the godless people, God's going to give that godless people time to repent. Just like in Genesis eighteen, when Abraham himself was interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah and for Lot and his family. If 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 you find ten people there, will you spare the whole lot for the sake of ten? See, that's a redemptive presence of potentially ten people that um, that God said, If they're if there are ten there, I'll spare the whole place for their sake. Anyway, um I believe that Melchizedek was, and his people, his family line, was that presence in Canaan for those years that God was waiting for the Amorite sin to be filled up. And once it was filled up, well, then about that time, uh, Joshua and the Israelites are crossing the Canaan into uh, into Canaan to take Jericho and Ai and the rest of the the rest of that land. So. Melchizedek is a type of Christ. He reminds us of Jesus in the Old Testament. And what's what's pastoral about that, what's, um, what's neat about this, is here scripture is establishing uh, in Genesis, among other ways, certainly, um, but establishing the coming Christ in his finished work as king and priest for his people. And being the cornerstone, uh, we go to First Peter 2, where we have from isaiah and the psalms jesus painted as a cornerstone of the church a foundation for his people and for the body of christ from the old testament so the old testament is always doing this it's it's proclaiming christ before christ it's establishing his coming so certain is our redemption and our justification because it is is broadcast from the old testament many times and in several ways. Jesus is our forever priest, and our forever king. Um, And it's a beautiful thing to see. Okay, that's Melchizedek's type. He's a type of Christ. Secondly here, Melchizedek's superiority. Now, this is uh, specifically to Aaron, and over Aaron, and Aaron's priesthood, which was always going to be temporary. It's going to be a human priesthood, uh, a temporary priesthood, one that uh, was... Uh, born in the shadow of Sinai uh, that was going to be uh, taken over and uh, superseded by Christ's kingship and by Christ's priesthood eventually. But let's pick up at verse 4. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, Though these also are descended from Abraham. So you have Abraham, then um, his son Isaac, and then Jacob, and then the, the sons of Israel, the tribes of Israel. Levi was uh, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. Levi was the third born of Jacob's sons. So Levi was a descendant of, of Jacob through um, um, On up through Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Okay, I forgot about Isaac. Uh, Levi was was descended from Isaac and and Abraham through Jacob. That was their brothers. Through these also descended from Abraham. So Levi, the Levites, and you look up in Leviticus, named after the Levites, where they are required by God to take and to collect a tithe from the people as part of their worship. Part of that was for the altar, for the sacrifices that were meant. Those other tithes that were left over was for the Levites to have their upkeep and their living. Uh, The the people of Israel basically provided the the Levitical class, the Levitical tribe, their livelihood because they didn't own land. They didn't have time to do cattle, sheep, and all the rest and land because they were attending to the worship of God and leading in that worship for the people. So, But they came later, and that was their job. Uh, Levi's sons, Levi's family were the priests of Israel. But this man, Melchizedek, who does not have his descent from them, he's not from Levi. Um, he's probably not even from the, the line of Abraham, probably from Shem, but from one of the other uh, four boys that, that, that Shem also had. He receives tithes from Abraham and blessed Abraham who had the promises. So Abraham was the blessed one, the the redemptive line down to Christ. He was the recipient of the blessings of God and as such blessed. And here comes king and priest of God most high, Melchizedek. He blesses Abraham in his position, his gracious position, as being called to be the patriarch of the nations of, of Israel. Um. But this man was not from Levi. He didn't descend from them. And yet he received tithes from Abraham. Now verse 7, it's beyond dispute then that the inferior, Abraham, is blessed by the superior, which is Melchizedek. Abraham is the recipient. He is paying a tithe to Melchizedek. You, You pay a tithe to somebody who is greater than you are. And yet that greater somebody, Melchizedek, is blessing you, blessing Abraham. So that's what's happening here. Verse 8. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, that is, Levites. And remember, that that priesthood had a beginning. It was at Mount Sinai after they came through the Red Sea and camped at Mount Sinai, received the law, received um, their religion, basically, built the tabernacle, all these different pieces and parts of it. Levites are set aside as the priest of Israel. They were mortal men. But they were commanded to to collect tithes from the people for their upkeep and for Israel's worship of God. But in the other case, in Melchizedek's case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. Now, it can also be translated here, lives on. Again, the key word with Melchizedek's priesthood and Melchizedek is that he's presented in such a way as he is um, he is eternal, and that his priesthood is perpetual and eternal, he lives on, so mortal men versus he that that appears to be immortal uh mortal priests, and then the one who appears to be an immortal priest that's how melchizedek is is presented here he's not, but He's presented that way, and as such, he's a type of Christ. And our text ends with uh, verse 9 and 10. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now that may sound strange, and we don't speak like that in our culture today. We don't. When we talk about our our great-granddaddy or our grandfather our dad and maybe our son and my my grandson. We talk about grandchildren and granddads and all that. We don't use this language of being in the loins of somebody, but this was a Hebrew way of referring backward in time or even forward in time to your ancestors back and to your descendants forward. You could say and they would say this a lot, a lot of times in, in Old Testament genealogies that um, for example uh, Abraham was in the loins of Shem as a Shemite, as a Semite. Abraham was in Shem on the ark. Uh, he was his descendant. Um, transgenerationally, Abraham came from Shem, so Abraham was in Shem's loins. It's kind of a, a an odd way in our minds to refer to uh, one's ancestor but you know marriage family and birth we come into the world uh, through the uh, agency of our mom and dad uh, specifically our dad and his seed and his seed before him so that my great my great grandchildren one day are in my body right now they are in my loins uh, again, we don't talk that way today, but this is this is the import of what's being said here. Think of Abraham, and in his loins are the the, the ten tribes, twelve tribes of Israel. Um, they they are resident in him. They are represented on the spot before Melchizedek, and when Abraham pays that tenth, that tithe to Melchizedek, Levi. The father of the the priestly tribe of Israel is paying, through Abraham, Israel's tithe back to Melchizedek. That's how great a man this is, verse 4. This is a person who represents and is made to look like Christ in the Old Testament. And that's how great Christ is. He is eternal. His priesthood never had a beginning and does not have an end. He is eternal in his monarchy, in his priesthood, and in his prophetic ministry. He is God. And Melchizedek is seen as representing that, being the picture of that in front of Abraham. And Abraham's descendants are in him paying a tithe to Melchizedek here. So again, I'll I'll say it again, we don't talk that way today, but it's still true. We... All of us really were in our ancestors' loins because you break the chain at any point, we don't exist. And um, it's a very intimate way as well of referring to, to, to dad and granddad and great-granddad all the way back and going all the way to the beginning. And as we anticipate our downline, um, our kids, our great-grandkids are, are in our loins even now. If the Lord chooses to uh, bring that many generations from us, <clears throat> but just like in Melchizedek's being a type of Christ and Scripture establishing the coming Christ and His finished work and our our Cornerstone, our Lord Jesus, are are being justified. Here, Scripture um, in Melchizedek's sought superiority over Aaron's priesthood. Aaron's priesthood is is ultimately human, it had a beginning, it had an end. Christ uh, replaces that passing pr- uh, priesthood with his own eternal priesthood. Um, he fulfills the law that the Aaronic priesthood was managing and, and presenting to the people. Jesus conquers the law in that sense so that it's no longer um, um, that which condemns the people of God, the elect, the redeemed. So here scripture exalts the divine priesthood of Christ, sufficient, completely and perfectly sufficient for our justification, unlike Aaron's. Uh, Just reference forward to Hebrews 10, verse 4, where our author, and he's making this point several times between chapter 8 and chapter 10, He says it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And that's basically saying that Aaron's priesthood ultimately was not going to be sufficient for removing the sins of God's people and cleansing their consciences. He'll make that point again a little bit later in chapter 10. But it's Christ's priesthood which is divine and eternal and powerful and everlasting that will cleanse us from our sin and uh, cleanse our consciences from our sin and, and prep us for heaven. And again, as as we approach, when we're here in worship together, uh, we take communion and we we recognize Christ's perfect priesthood. He is the priest. He is the sacrifice. He is king. He is priest. He is prophet. He is all-sufficient for us as our Redeemer and as our Lord and Savior. So a blessing and a tithe uh, which leave us um, um, honoring and worshiping Christ as our, as our great high priest in heaven. I hope you all are doing well, and uh, I, I trust and I hope that this was uh, a clarifying look at Melchizedek. And hopefully next week will be even more clarifying because it will be a further explanation of, of Jesus and Melchizedek and the beauty of that juxtaposition from Old Testament to New Testament, from the old priesthood to the new and eternal priesthood of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for your goodness and grace. We thank you for the pictures and tokens uh, that you've given us throughout the old testament and the reality of those in the new testament how you replace the shadow with the substance we thank you father for uh, the understanding you give us to not only um appreciate the, the differences between the old and the new here but um lord that our worship is so much more powerful and um eternal even than that of the Old Testament. So we thank you, Father, for all that is ours in Christ. Encourage us with it um, for the day and for the week ahead, we pray. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.